I think one of the things that's really interesting about God's Word is the way that it's written in context so that um, we have theological truth that's um, brought to us in out of real circumstances. And in the church of Corinth was a real church. And Paul could have just given the principle and it would have saved a lot of space. He could have just said, here's what you need to do. But he, he God gave us the scriptures out of real life, uh, real church life. So <clears throat> God's going to talk to us today about some things. And we're going to look back at the church in Corinth. And then we're going to try to figure out how that relates to the church here today and relates to you and me. So the, if I was to pick a verse and I would say, well, this is kind of where I want to go. I, I would pick verse um, 10. And it's the verse that says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Godly grief or godly sorrow produces. And this is what, the, what it's um, aiming at or produces. Godly sorrow, grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So we're going to get there, but we'll make our way there by looking through some of this passage a little bit. Sometimes churches have more of a reputation for fighting than forgiving. Are you aware of that? <laughs> some people say, yeah, I've got some bruises uh, as a result of it. Um, yeah, we tend to, many times we, we fight and we're kind of known for that throughout the community. Like churches are sometimes known as like how many churches came from a particular church because they had a church fight and a split. and um, That's instead of being known for forgiving, which is what the Lord wants us to be known for. And then sometimes Christians are better known for shouting repentance at all those sinners out there than showing repentance of all the sin in here. Sometimes, you know, you kind of picture the guy at the sh uh, street corner with his... This has happened. This happens here in Silva. There'll be the guy out there at the street corner shouting at all those sinners driving by. And I don't know that anyone slows down to listen. They just go, yeah, there's that guy out there again shouting at all of us hellbound sinners. But wouldn't it be better if we were known for people coming here showing, not shouting repentance, but showing repentance by us confessing our sins? deep contrition happening here, that would be far more appealing and far more what ought to be taking place. Um, there's nothing wrong with calling sinners to repentance, but the reality is there's a lot of sinners at Webster Baptist Church. And so we ought to model the very thing we're telling people to do. It's like, wow, man, they're really good at repenting. Have you, have you ever heard of a church with that kind of reputation? Like, they're really good at repenting over there. They might say so they're really good at preaching. They're really good at Worship. They're really good at ministry to children. I've never heard a church with a reputation about that. They're really good at repenting. You go over there and you're going you're gonna to see some great repentance. Um, would it be? Wouldn't it be great if that was something that we were familiar with and was very common to our experience together? So that's what we're going to talk a little bit about. Uh, first of all, the first thing I want to say is make room in your heart for others. That's what Paul says in verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. Paul is writing to a people who sometimes were angry at him, sometimes were accusing him of certain things. And so 
there was a relationship because there were false teachers in the church in Corinth and they're always accusing like, you don't want to listen to that Paul. He's not a true apostle or, and yeah, he said some hurtful things to us. And Paul begins with this principle that God can make your heart bigger. Any of you need a bigger heart? Any of you need to love people better? Um, for those of you who didn't raise your hands, um, you're the ones maybe that need to this most. Um, or, or you're like me. Sometimes you just don't raise your hand because you're a rebel. It's like, I ain't raising my hand. Um, anyway, God can do amazing things here at Webster. He can do amazing things in your family. He can do amazing things in that heart of yours. You're so mad at some people. You're having a hard time forgiving them. And God has this amazing ability. And I, I want it to be obvious in our, in our church life and in my own life. Um, remember the story of Jesus and the um, Samaritan woman? It's in John 4. And there was a woman, Jesus was on his way to go somewhere. And to get there, he had to go through this town called Samaria. And Samaria was like forbidden. Jews didn't want to go through there because they felt it would defile them like those dirty people live there. Dirty people lived in Samaria and they didn't, you, you, if you were, uh, the idea of religion for the Jews at that time was, is you don't need, you don't hang out with dirty people. And you certainly don't let your kids hang out with dirty people and and, and you probably don't want to go to school with dirty people. And you, you really don't want to associate too much with those people. And Jesus went right to that village. It's the, the disciples were interested in getting here, but Jesus was probably going here because he wanted to go through here. He actually set it up so he could hang out with those people. And he came across one of those people, and it was a Samaritan woman, and she was... Um, well known in her community as being very sinful, an adulterous woman, slept around a lot. Um, you know, it's the kind of people that the disciples didn't want to go, who we don't want to hang out, get too close to people like that, or people might think we're soliciting a prostitute. So, you know, she was involved in the sex trade of the day, and Jesus went right to Samaria to get where he was going, but I'm not so sure that Samaria was maybe really where he was going because he had an appointment. He had a divine appointment at the well. Now that woman had no idea that she was just going to get water and Jesus wanted to change the conversation to water, uh, to eternal life. And so he called it water that um, can produce eternal life. And Jesus says, I have some water that you don't know about. Now, you came for water out of the well, but I've got some water you don't know about, spiritual water. And this spiritual water is, if you drink of this water, it'll satisfy your thirst for God. And so that's, that's what happened. Now, the disciples were a bit upset. And they're like, Jesus, you can't hang out with people like that if you're going to change the world. It's like, you've got to have this sterling reputation, and you can't hang out with people. You know what people are going to say about you, and it's going to ruin your witness and Jesus was going there to witness. And he didn't care what those people who had that view of dirty people. He went to dirty people. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus had a way of making people who thought they were clean see how dirty they really were. Religious people like you and me. 
Um, so I have a question for you. Do you avoid those people? Do you have people you don't want to hang out with because they're not in your club, in your group? Do you, um, are there people, this was going on, Jesus was dealing with a non-Christian woman, but in the church of Corinth, they were having problems with Christians, getting along with Christians. And they were, their hearts were shriveled up like a little raisin. And I see that sometimes. You ever see that here? I see that sometimes. Does it break your heart? I have people come to me and I have some people come to me and they go, man, Webster's a, such a friendly church. And it's possible that on the exact, exact same day I could have someone go, well, um, I don't think we're coming back because it was an unfriendly church. I, I hear both of that. And it might have to do with people's experience. But I, I, want, to, um, I want to challenge you to look in your heart and ask yourself, is my heart open to other people? Am I open to meeting people? Um, I don't know that I'll ever be able to fix it, but I, I just hate it when I see people sitting alone and I kind of get the feeling that no one's reaching out to them. It's fine if someone's sitting alone because they want to be. Um, that's fine. But like sometimes I'll go on Wednesday nights and I see all the same people sitting with all the same people every Wednesday night. So can I challenge you to get out of yourself? Can I challenge you to start thinking about other people deep, more deeply and loving people with Christ's love? It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to end up with some messy people. Can I also challenge you that if there are people here when you come to church that you don't want to sit to, there are people that will pick the nine service because they don't want to run into the people that go to the 11 service. You realize that happens here? Do you know that there are people that will look where they're going to sit before they sit because they don't want to get too close to so-and-so. It'll mess up their worship. And God is saying, that just so grieves me. Your heart's not where mine is yet. So I just want to challenge you. How big is your heart? Is your heart growing? Is God working you? And maybe there's some people right here. Let me rephrase that. There's never not a time when people in the church are having a hard time getting along with people in the church. It's because we're sinful and we're selfish and we get so easily offended and we feel so entitled and things go maybe not the way we want and we get mad and we pout and we do all kinds of things. We go to social media or, or we, I don't know, we say things to people, we get in a corner and we just want someone to know what a rotten scoundrel that brother or sister is that was singing that song. But you need to know next time you go to worship what the bass player's into. You need to know about that person on the keyboard. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't, I don't even know if you would come here anymore. But I say this over and over again. One thing we're pretty sure about at Webster Baptist Church is that sinners go there. And I just want, I just want to challenge you because Paul, um, Paul was concerned, always concerned about situations in the church. So will you join me in praying that God will make your heart bigger? Here's, here's how you can tell that your heart needs to be bigger. If, if, if you're always concerned about who's offended you and you think very little that you might have offended someone, you're just always taking notes. You just always know the people who've offended you. 
and you've never really learned to think, Lord God, what was my part in this? What was my role? How did I, what might I have done that didn't help the situation? And so we're going to come to the Lord's table in a while, and this is a great opportunity to lay that down. Wouldn't it be great if we left here and some of the offenses were just gone? And God just set you free and you had a new kind of freedom and your love for the people of God. You couldn't wait to come to people. You're like, Lord God, I don't care who you put me next to at church this morning. I love the brethren. And there's some brethren I don't know very well or there's some brethren I hadn't gotten along with very well in the past or there's some brethren who our history isn't the greatest. But Lord God, I just want you to do such a great work in my heart that I love the brethren. I love the sons and daughters of God. Lord, you're our father and I don't want to have a quarrel with one of your children. Wouldn't that just please the Father? Um, that's one of the things I want us to do a little bit of repenting of this morning. I got my own. Oh, don't you worry. I got my own. I got some of you. You have no idea how mad I am at you. You have no idea how offended I am. And I just have to ask God to bring it out. Like, Lord, draw it out. If there's some cancer in my soul, it's keeping me from the joy of the Lord. Okay, secondly, God comforts the downcast. Have you ever been downcast? He talks a lot about it. It's interesting. Back in chapter 1, I didn't notice this until I came to chapter 7. And I go, well, I've already talked about this some. In chapter 1, at the beginning of the letter, it's kind of like Paul's letting them know what he's going to be talking about. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And then he talks about how the Christians could comfort each other because God had comforted them in the midst of their trials. So we're going to go through some trials. And as we go through those trials, God wants to comfort you. And then you're going to learn how to comfort other people. And a Christian community ought to be a place where people are paying attention to each other's hurts and reaching out to each other instead of always going, no one's paying attention to me. Instead of thinking like that, you're like going, man, sister so-and-so is going through a hard thing. You don't believe how many times I have to pray and say, Lord God, forgive me, because sometimes I can get in my professional mode and I hear people's problems and I walk away no more. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for that. I get paid to do that. And my heart just can be so dull to the needs and the hurts that people are going through. And I'm just like, I'm thinking, like, I don't know what the problem is. I preached a sermon on that. I don't get it. Instead of realizing... People go through stuff, and that's part of what the Christian community is about. And, and God comforts the downcast. Um, and we need, to, we need to be willing to, to have that heart of God. In Psalm 61, 1 to 3, it says, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer from the end of the earth. I call to you when my heart is faint or overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I that you may be, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower and against the enemy. Did anyone catch what God did when Paul was discouraged that helped him? His comfort, his comfort came in the name of Titus. And do you know that sometimes God's going to comfort you by sending someone? He, he's going to send a person and they're like going, wow, God, thank you that you brought this person into my life. Do you know that if, you want, if you're going through something that maybe one of the first things you should pray is like, Lord God, is, would you send someone my way? I need encouragement. I need a friend. I need this or that. So one of the first things you begin to pray for is a person.
because our walk with God is so relational that God wants to send people into your life to help with that. And then also He wants you to be a person like that. He wants you to look for Titus and be a Titus. And being a Titus means that you become more aware of other people's needs. And you just really pray and go, Lord God, Lord God open my eyes. I'm so self-absorbed that I, I couldn't even tell you the needs of other people in the church. I don't even know what they're going through because I'm, I'm so busy talking about my, my, me and my needs. And if you don't know the needs of very many people, it's not because they aren't there. It's because you're self-focused. And so you can pray with that bigger heart. It's like, Lord God, help me to see what other people are going through and be more caring, to be more engaged. Okay, a third thing is that sometimes hard conversations are necessary. And Paul wrote this letter. And I think he was nervous about sending it because he wasn't sure how they were going to take it. And he even says, at first I was, uh, I regret, I was like, hmm, do I regret sending this letter? Even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. So why would Paul regret sending a letter? Because he wasn't sure how they were going to take it. It's like, oh, this may offend them and they might leave the church or get angry at me. And so at first it's like he took a risk. And, and I want to encourage you to be open to this and to participate in this. And sometimes as Christians, we just need to have some hard conversations with people. Okay? Sometimes because we love someone, we just need to go to someone and say, hey, can I talk to you? Something on my heart. I'm no, I'm no flying saint. I'm no picture of perfection at all. But I'm just kind of aware that something's going on. I see something going on between you and this person, and I just, can I pray for you? Can, is there something I can do to help? Or, man, I see the way some things that are going on in your life, and I've just noticed, man, you're drinking a lot. Or I don't know that this relationship with this girl is very healthy. I'm just not seeing, man, you're disappearing, and like this person seems to be taking you away from God. Can we talk? Or I've just noticed an attitude lately and I just feel like you're mad at everybody. Did I do something? And sometimes we need to have conversations with people and we need to take this book and say, you know, here's something in God's Word. And, and sure, if you want to, you can get angry and say, well, you're no saint either. Totally true. And you might get mad and say, well, let me tell you, my friend, what you're doing wrong. Totally. That's fine if the conversation goes there. You, go ahead because I'm doing plenty wrong. We can talk about that too. But sometimes we need to initiate and sometimes we need to be open to someone who loves us enough to come and speak hard things into our lives. Someone just needs to sit down and say, hey, I'm just going to be honest. I'm, I'm concerned about this. And I love you. And you can shut me off if you want to. That's your prerogative. But just know that I'm coming because I, I just feel like something's not healthy. And I care about you. And three months from now, it, this role may reverse, and it's me. And will you come to me? If I start pulling away from God, and I start hardening my heart, and you hear stuff coming out of my mouth that's not edifying, and I'm going around saying stuff or doing things that you're like going, I'm not sure that that's pleasing to God. Will you, can we have that, the church kind of have that kind of relationship? If you get offended if every time someone comes to you with something, 
and, and you get very angry, then I think that's pride. And you're like going, Lord God, am I a very prideful person? Can I tell you that I am? I'm very prideful. My wife was reading something to me the other day in a book. And I go, oh, boy, did that describe me. She had no idea that it was an arrow to my heart. And I'm going, oh, that's me. Lord God, I, I, I read, it showed me some pride in my life in areas that I had not really picked up on. And it just was an arrow to my heart. And then I go, Lord, thank you for that arrow. Man, no wonder I'm so mad about this or upset about this. And it's my pride. It's not my sense of justice. How dare they get away with treating me that way? It's like, no, it was my arrogant pride that I was so sensitive to something and my pride got in the way and I'm like, Lord God, that'll ruin my life and my ministry. I'm like, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that sweet arrow that revealed some things in my heart that have been hindering my joy in the Lord. Okay, so number four, um, number three was hard conversations are often necessary. Number four, worldly grief leads to death. Um, verse 10, godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas word, worldly grief produces death. What is this worldly grief and what does it produce? Worldly grief. Worldly grief or worldly sorrow is kind of like you got caught and that's really the only reason you regret it. It's like next time I'll be smarter. Next time I won't get away with that. Next time I'll, I'll hide my sin a little better. Next time I'll do this, I can't believe I got caught. Man, now I got to go to prison. Now I got grounded. Now I, people think I'm a jerk or whatever. It's like, next time I won't do this. And worldly sorrow is when you're sorry that you got caught. You're not really sorry for what you did. You're sorry for the result. But you're not really that worried that you offended someone or you wronged someone or that you, um, you, you don't really have moral a moral problem with what you did. It's just the practical outwork is it messed your life up. And that's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is when you do something wrong and you're like, bummer, I just lost my job or I just lost my privilege or oh, I shouldn't have said that. Now she wants to break up with me. And it's like no sense of really offending God. That's the difference. Worldly sorrow is looking at this playing field and godly sorrow looks up to God. Godly sorrow is when you are broken. You are broken before God. Godly sorrow is like, how did I get to this dark place that I did this against my loving God? Godly sorrow looks to God. Worldly sorrow only sees the world. And godly sorrow is so modeled in Psalm 51. Godly sorrow is... David, I can't even think of how many people David offended when he committed adultery and murdered Uriah. He at least offended them, but he offended everybody. He offended the whole nation. He was the king and he, he was the king of God's nation. He was supposed to be a model of walking with God and so he offended all the people. He, he, um, his offense was so great against Uriah that Uriah was murdered or killed because of David's um, jealousy and um, lust. And then he took 
this man's wife. And so there's just a long list of people who David offended. But you know what's interesting? When you read Psalm 51, there's no one else's name in there. And David says, against you and you only have I offended. Which really wasn't true. He had offended tons of people. But he said, God, you're the one that I've ultimately sinned against. And so all sin is ultimately a sin against God. And can I go so far as to say, if you've never felt the weight of your sin against God, then you're not converted. If you've only felt godly sorrow, worldly sorrow, if you're like, oh well. Or if you like think you found the quick fix to your problems, like, yeah, I want to go to heaven, so I'm supposed to do this thing and get baptized and repent and, and confess my sin. If you've never felt deep grief that you have personally offended the living God, then you don't really, you've never understood your need for the grace of God. If you don't understand how offensive what you've done is to God, then you don't have a clue as to how desperately you need Christ's atoning death. And today, I'm hoping that some of you are going to get there. Some of you have offended God and you're coming to church like clockwork. Some of you have done things and you've never really felt that sorry for it. You're like, no, church is good. Go to church, get some songs, you get a little pep talk for the week, and, and man, you're good, you're, you, you're in the kingdom of God, and you're like, ooh, the priest or the pastor does these things, and you're like forgiven and washed, but you've never really been deep into your heart to acknowledge that what you've done is a great offense to God. You've never truly been broken. If you've never felt the weight of your own sin, then there's no way that you've ever tasted the goodness of God's grace. Okay, it's very important. If you want to go high, you've got to go low. And some of you have never gone low. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I've got a few offenses against God. I've got a few offenses, but man, it's a good thing I got that right. And now it's me and Jesus going on forward. Then you've never understood what it means to be a guilty sinner. If you don't believe that Adam's one sin was an offense worthy of eternal damnation, then you have never understood what it means to offend God one time, much less a life of offense. If the gospel isn't the greatest news you've ever heard in your whole life, then you've never understood the gospel. Okay? And so godly sorrow produces repentance, godly sorrow. Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I can't believe what I've done against you. Lord, I see my sin. It's awful, isn't it, Lord? How could you ever look upon me? How could you love me? How could you choose me? Why would you send your son to die for my sins? Lord, I don't understand. I don't, no one's ever loved me like this. Most people who find out and come into contact with my sin don't love me anymore. Most people see my sin and they reject me. How could you do this for me? How could you love me with such a deep love? And godly sorrow says, I'm Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done. When's the last time you were there? 
When's the last time? Do you know that's supposed to happen every time you come to the Lord's table? You're supposed to go from the last time you were there to this time. It's like, Lord God, here I am again, and I need this as much as I did the first day I cried out to you. This isn't like a, a little kiss as you drive by. This isn't like, high five me, Jesus, as I drive through communion. That's the way people treat you. High five me, Jesus, as we go through. Cool, we're still going on, right? Brokenness and deep contrition keeps the path of grace flowing. Keeps the grace flowing. And I don't even know, I don't even know, are, is your heart so hard that you, this is strange language to say, but when is the last time you have literally wept before God over your sins? Is that strange language to you? How dry is your heart? What is wrong with your tear ducts? And I'm just going to say, that's what repentance is. That's what revival is, my friends. My revival is where people are skipping along, singing happy doo-dah day, and suddenly they're broken before a holy and living God, and they're falling before their face, confessing their sins, and they get up with new joy and delight in God. New life, new pardon, new experience of God that flows out into new expressions of love to God. Okay? And then I hope some of that's going to happen today. I would really recommend... Um, well, let me read 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins particular sins, not like, Lord God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. If we confess our specific sins, like, Lord God, I was looking at porn last night. Here I am at church singing songs to you. Stuff like that. Lord God, I can't stand sister so-and-so. I sure hope I don't have to sit next to her at church today. Stuff like that. Lord God, I'm... I gave in again last night. I was drinking. I got drunk. Lord God, I'm so mad at my family. I can't stand them. I hate them all. Just as I... Oh, right. We play this game. We come in here with stuff and we don't ever unload it. And we just go along and play the game, the religious game. And so I'm just calling you today. I want you to have that joy. And it comes when you get on your face before God. Okay? And then that's the last thing. Overflowing joy is available for those who follow God's, who follow Christ's um, path. And so, um, I, I think that's probably enough to chew on. Um, we're going to come to the Lord's Supper now, and let me explain to you what it is. Because um, we have people here that were recently baptized. And for some of you, this could be your first communion. And um, in the, in the, on the communion tables, we have three of them here. And is, is this the gluten-free in the middle? Or is there one at each table? Gluten-free in the middle. Um, we have a two table, three tables, and um, 
Jesus wanted to do this often, but part of coming to the Lord's table, especially if you look at um, 1 Corinthians 11, and then if you also go to 2 Corinthians 13, and you'll see this thing that's supposed to happen when we go to the Lord's table. It's like, it's kind of like, let's just say that I, I want to take my wife out to dinner. We usually do Friday night date night. Um, and let's just say that before Friday night or sometime during the week, we have a big fight. It's never happened before, but let's just say it happened. Um, let's just say that I was really, we were really had plans for a great time together, just really special. But something big happened, like one of the worst fights we ever had. And we're just going to pretend, and one of us is going to pretend. It would usually be the guy, right? The guy's going to pretend, nothing, no big deal. And we're good. And the wife, just she ain't going there. She's like going, why are we going to dinner? Because it's date night, baby. <laughs> it's like, I got this restaurant planned, got big plans. And she's like, I don't want to go to dinner with you. <laughs> What do you mean? Well, what you said to me the other night. Oh, you know, honey, I didn't mean that. We were just having a fight. Oh, it's just words. Well, be it words or not words, we're not going to dinner. And it's because the offense ruins the relationship and the opportunity. And maybe some of you have an offense between you and God right now and the Lord's like going, I want a date. I made a date for you at the table. We're going on a date, a dinner date. And I call it the Lord's Supper. I want, but, I, but you, things have got to be right before you come to dinner. And so right now you have an opportunity if there's something in your heart. The Lord's, believe me, the Lord, if there's an offense and you've been acting like there isn't one, oh, believe me, he knows. And he's not going to bless you. He's not going to bless you if you're holding on to some sin. You may think, you may try to squeeze a blessing out of it somehow, but the Lord's like, we need to talk about this offense between us. And so I just want you, as we come to the Lord's Supper, I want you to understand that it's a fresh opportunity to make sure things are right with you and God and you and God's people. There's something going on, and I just want you, to, as you begin and you come to the Lord's table, I just want you to pray before you even get up and just say, Lord God, what offense do I need to get right this morning before I come? And some of you may already know. Some of you may have to dig a little because you haven't been really thinking that way. So just so you know, when you, when you take the bread, the bread, a little piece of bread represents a loaf of bread. The loaf of bread is symbolic of the body of Jesus. And Jesus gave his body to hang on the cross, to be crucified, to be tortured. And so he physically gave himself as, just like the Old Testament animal sacrifice, but Jesus gave himself as the only ever human sacrifice. And Jesus said, take of this. I've given myself for you. 
This bread symbolizes me physically going to the cross for you. And then the cup is red and it looks like wine. It comes from a grape and it looks a little bit like blood. It's kind of that color. And Jesus says, the cup will remind you of my blood that was shed for you, my perfect blood. I gave my physical being, but I also shed my perfect life-giving blood. God requires blood, life-giving blood to atone for sin. And when we come to the Lord's table, we're saying, Lord God, I have no blood to offer you. I only receive the blood of Jesus on behalf of my sins against you. And based on that relationship that you now have with Jesus, Jesus says, I'm glad you understand how it is that you can come to my table. Even though you've offended me many, 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 many times, my blood and my sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to cover your sins. And so Jesus said, remember what I did for you. May the, the, the little piece of bread remind you of what I endured on the cross for you. And may that little cup remind you that my blood was spilled out on the cross for you. And that on the basis of remembering what Jesus did for you, you come to God again and again and again. And so we're going to pray. And then um, I'm going to have them start the music. And then as they just play before they sing, um, I'm going to read the passage, read one of the Lord's Supper passages. And then I want you to make your way up. If you're a believer and you're trusting in what Christ did, which is symbolized by these two elements, then I want you to meditate and feed upon what Christ did in your heart, even as you taste the elements, which are symbols of what Christ did with your mouth. So is... The food goes in here. May the grace and faith go in here. May it be an act of faith saying, by this sacrifice I'm remembering, I can have a place at your table, even as a sinner, forgiven for my sin. And Lord God, I've had a lot of sin since last week. But I, I want to delight in your favor that you purchased for me at the cross. Okay. Please come up if you're serving.